This isn't real, John said in a hushed tone. The world around him was grey, dense with fog and uninviting. It was a change from the green leaves, cool breeze and warm atmosphere that was the mainstay of his memory. I am here! The voice of Mara called to John. John squinted as he tried to make out where the voice was emanating from. Where are you? I am here! Mara's voice echoed in the fog. John spun around and suddenly made out the figure of someone in the fog. He made a dash in that direction, but after sprinting for a few seconds, he realized he was just as lost as he was moments before. He felt himself shrink, and his eyes widen as the realization of his state set in. He felt the beads of sweat roll down the back of his neck and soak into his chest. He wrapped his arms around himself and felt a slight sense of comfort. Suddenly, there was a gust of wind and the leaves came flying in his direction. The wind blast caught him by surprise and John found himself taking several steps back before tripping and falling on his back. The wind was ferocious and he wiped the persistent leaves from his face. I have a secret for you. Mara's muffled voice seemed far into the distance. John got to his feet, using his arm to shield his face from the ferocious wind. Captain! An urgent voice called out. John spun around trying to make out where the voice was coming from. Captain! The voice seemed so close. John's eyes widened as the realization slowly set in. Captain! We're getting close to the border, the voice of Hasso called out to him. In John's mind, the leaves all picked up, and with a whoosh, they flew directly at him. It was dark for several seconds, and John shielded his eyes. The sensation of leaves disappeared, and he felt the cool breeze from the passenger's open window, and he opened his eyes. It took a few minutes for him to adjust to the bright sun and the pungent smell of the ocean. He stared perplexed as Asso controlled the roaring engine of the BMW 7 Series as he headed swiftly through the imposing border of the South Bridge. John's shirt was soaked through in sweat and he shifted uncomfortably in his seat. You're awake, Captain. Hasso said from the front seat. You will have to forgive me, sir. I had the windows turned down because you seemed hot in the back seat. I already had the air on high, but it did not seem to do the trick. John, who sat in the back with narrowed eyes and furrowed brows, shrugged. It's fine, he said finally. He swung his head around and caught sight of the colorful skyline of the city district in the distance. The neon lights lit the sky in a dazzling array of color, and the orange glow of the radio tower stood majestically above all the tall city buildings. That was home for ten years, and I know Mara is back there somewhere, he muttered. What was that, sir? Asso asked. 
Jen turned around to face him. It's nothing. The car moved swiftly through the darkening day, racing towards the tall guard tower on the south bridge that separated the city district from the colony district. As they swerved through a curve, John caught a momentary glance of the bust of old Beatrice before the view was blocked again by the imposing tower. The colony district did not have the glitz and the glamour of the city district. The skyline was not lit with neon lights of all colours of the rainbow, but it was home, and John felt a sense of satisfaction as they drove through the spectacular to the serene. Would you like to listen to the radio, sir? Hassel said. Sure. Anything in particular? The news, the news is fine. Hassel fiddled with the radio knobs, and soon the cabin of the BMW was filled with the familiar, sultry voice of radio personality Joe Dilly Mueller. We have Michelle on line three. How are you doing tonight? What's on your mind? A high-pitched voice of a woman came through the speakers. I really think we have to consider replacing the superintendent. When she first arrived, I, I was really excited. Given a record in a whole district, I thought crime might finally be under control on her watch. After that disastrous press conference, I really am worried. Not just about her safety, but that of my kids. Last night, I told them they had to avoid all public areas. I mean, things seem to be working just fine how it was before. Don't you think you're overreacting? Dilly asked in a voice bordering on disdain. In general, we've been doing a lot better this year than the last few years. The superintendent has achieved some success in bringing down the rate. Wouldn't you at least give her that? Are you kidding? Michelle responded. The massacre happened only two blocks from where my kids play in the evening. They even hit close to home. What will the next one hit? She really has to go soon because she's incompetent and way over her head. Hassel chuckles as the scar sped along. All right, Michelle. Your points are duly noted. Let's move on to the next caller. Yannick? Are you there, Yannick? A crackling voice responded. Yannick, could you turn off your radio while you're on the call? As you know, the feedback affects the quality of the call. After a moment, Yannick came back online. Is that better? Much better. Dilly said. What's on your mind, Yannick? I can't believe I voted for a governor who could do this to his citizens. Yannick barked. What are the woman's credentials? She had an incredible career leading the Schwarzwald district, Yannick. I think we can give her more time, don't you think? Are you an apologist for her, Dilly? It seems no one can say anything critical about her without you jumping in to defend her. Why do you feel angry about things emotionally, Yannick? Some of us have to deal in facts. Diddy responded. Oh, groaned John. Can you turn it off? Of course, Hassel responded. He fiddled with the knob again, 
and soon the only sound in the cabin was that of the thrum of the V-12 engine. After several minutes, Hassel pierced the silence. It's funny that she fell for the oldest trick in the book. Whom? John asked, confused. The superintendent? Of course, Captain. You should have seen her face when you went down. The boys couldn't stop laughing. John scoffed. You don't approve, Captain? I'm finding it hard to figure out the purpose of such provocation. We have your organization splintering because of infighting. Several top heads have been taken out, and there is utter chaos everywhere. I don't understand why your top priority is to scare the superintendent shitless, John responded, doing nothing to mask his tone of disgust. Hassel was silent for a few seconds. Your father started the tradition. It was meant to announce our presence. Keep them on your toes, he said finally. My father was a hateful, spiteful man. He's the last person you should be taking advice from, John said dismissively. I would keep those sentiments to myself, Captain. Some things are just tradition. Hassel responded in a disappointing tone as the car slowed to a halt. John sat quietly at the back of the car as two soldiers approached from either side of the vehicle. Hassel wound his window down, reached into his pocket, grabbed his ID, and placed it in the outstretched hand of the officer. John pulled his ID from his back pocket stared at the name for a few seconds and handed it to the officer, who was now standing by his door. Captain Reichenau, he said, reading the name from the ID and staring at John in the back seat. What brings you to the colony district tonight? Decadence and alcohol, John responded sarcastically. I see. Captain, can you give me a few minutes? The officer asked, tucking John's ID into his front pocket. Of course, John responded. The officer turned around and walked into the small office on the border. The officer handed Aso his ID and pointed for them to park to the side of the road. Hasso did as he was told and turned off the engine of the vehicle. The cause of being important, he retorted. I've driven past this place dozens of times and this is the first time in a long time that I've been stopped. John stared through the window as the officer, with his ID card, gesticulated wildly in the office. The officer moved animatedly, pointing at John at every opportunity he got. Some of the officers turned to face the car, but once they caught John looking at them, they would avert their gaze. Did you have to go through this the last time you came out? Hasso asked. I used a different idea at that point, John responded. Tonight, I don't feel the need to hide who I am. Of course, sir, Hasso responded, switching the car on as the officer approached the vehicle. You're free to go now, Captain, the officer said, tossing John's ID in his general direction. It landed on the chair beside him. 
John reached out and grabbed it. Was there a problem, officer? The less said about it, the better it is for everyone. He responded. He banged the roof of the car and Hassel slowly accelerated through the border and into the colony district. John stared quietly as the imposing border disappeared into the distance and the more modest structure of the colony district came to view. The organization of the city district was now replaced with organized chaos. Crowds of people filled the streets with shops, gambling rooms, strip bars, all trying their best to attract the clientele. Hassel slowed down as he drove through the shared commuter space. The people padded ways like the seas making way for Moses. They stood aside, staring at the occupants of the car as the car made its way through the crowd. Hasso took a turn to the left and slammed the brake as one man failed to move out of the way in time. The man slapped the hood of the car in anger. His eyes flashed with fiery intentions. As soon as Hasso stepped out of the car, the anger disappeared and was replaced with subjugation. The man bowed his head a dozen times in less than 15 seconds like an agama lizard in the heat of the African sun. He walked away and Hassel stepped into the car and continued through the crowd. The prostitutes lined the walls of the colony and John watched the live human drama as the car began to pick up pace. Two men were fighting on the roadside. One man was taking a piss on the wall and looking in all directions for fear of being harassed. As time passed, the crowds diminished, and the faces became a blur, and they stopped being there. It was trees for miles and many miles of straight road. I've been on this road so many times. Why does he feel so distant right now? John muttered. After about 20 minutes, the car slowed down and made a right turn. It slowed down in front of a gated neighborhood with a large gate patrolled by men who were armed to the thief. One of the men approached the vehicle and knocked at the driver's window. Hassel rolled down. Hassel, my man, the man said enthusiastically. Where have you been all day? I thought you were running away from paying your debt. <laughs> Unlike you, I've been working, Hassel responded in a sarcastic tone. Special guest for the boss. The man walked to John's side of the door and gazed through the window. Upon seeing John, the man stood in a military stance and gave John a salute. Ah, Captain Reichenau, it has been a long time. Likewise, Jasper. I hope all is well. John responded. It is, my good sir. I will let you on your way momentarily, Jasper responded. He turned towards the men at the gate and signaled for them to open up. There was a loud crack, then rattling, and soon the heavily reinforced gates began to open up slowly. The guard pounded on the roof of the car when the gate was fully opened and Hassel drove into the neighborhood. The chaos of downtown was now replaced with the large Victorian homes with the elaborate, well-manicured yards. 
houses with windows that spanned multiple floors. John stared as he drove past a home with a garbled roof like a witch's hat, with fish scale shingles, a wraparound porch, and a huge stained glass window. Alex's favorite player. He thought to himself with a pang of guilt. It looks exactly the same as it did when he left us. Hmm. Hassel slowed down to let a couple in love and embrace cross the street and soon began down the long winding road. The memories flooded into John's mind. They drove past his old house and remembered how he had beat Antonio for disobeying orders. The tree where he and Marieke had first kissed. They turned the corner and they drove past the Marieke's parents' home where she had said that they were on two different paths and she needed to move on. Her father decided to move to the city district about two years later and he had never seen her again. The air smelt of fresh cut flowers the views were sublime, and everything in the area screamed opulence. Hassel made a turn to the left through an elaborate pathway lined with trees and stretched for almost a mile. Feels good to be back, huh? Hassel called out from the front seat. Nothing beats being back here. Nothing. John nodded in agreement. Very much so. He responded as Hassel stopped in front of an elegant, modern-looking house. It was a three-story building with a large glass window where the walls would be. There was a deliberate asymmetry that went into the design of the house. All the corners were at sharp right angles, and it had a boxy feel. John looked up and saw Clara from the second window. She'd stared in disbelief for a few seconds, then she motioned to someone in the room and suddenly Cecilia appeared from the other side. They bust into a full sprint running down the staircase towards the front door and eventually towards John. Uncle Jay! Cecilia yelled as she ran into the warm embrace of John. Clara stood back waiting for Cecilia to make way then she shyly approached and gave him a hug. You guys have grown! John exclaimed as he let Clara go. I can't believe it, Cecilia exclaimed. Mom just said we would have a special guest. She never said who it was going to be. Really? John said in disbelief. Dad was saying something about not being sure you would make it, Clara interjected. Well, well I'm here now, John said with a smile. Gosh, we haven't seen you in forever, Clara continued, staring at the parked car. Is Aunt Mara going to be able to make it? Not tonight, John responded without missing a beat. He stared at the excited faces of the teenagers in front of him and felt his heart swell. I'm sure I wouldn't have recognized either of you if I saw you on the streets. And whose fault is that? A soft, quiet voice responded from the background. John looked up and caught sight of Ursula in a dazzling light green frock with a gold necklace and large gold earrings. Ursula always had an understated style that everyone had grown to admire. She also carried herself with an air of elegance that made it seem like she floated above the muck.
Ursula walked majestically towards John, a warm smile written across her face. It's so good to see you, she said in a slow, deliberate tone. John embraced her and kissed her on the cheek. You look captivating, he said finally. I appreciate that, John. Though, I couldn't say the same about you. She stared at his white shirt and dark tie. Are you dressed for work or family reunion? John chuckled. A little bit of both. She stared him down. I'm sure I can find you something a little more expressive for a wonderful evening like this, she said finally. I'm sure, John said with a smile. How is life in the city district? she asked. Different, John responded, turning to his right as Cecilia tugged at his arm. So is Aunt Mara going to come this week? Cecilia inquired. She's going to come soon, I'm sure, John responded firmly, trying to shut down that line of inquiry. I thought Dad said you were dead, Clara said after some introspection. Your dad says a lot of silly things, girls, Ursula continued laughing awkwardly. John felt a sensation through his body, and he felt his knees buckle. He felt himself go to one knee. His arms trembled uncontrollably for a few seconds, and the build-up of sweat on the back of his neck returned. He felt his body convulse, and he fell back onto the floor. Stand back! Give him some air! Mike bellowed from the doorway. Ursula and the girls took several steps back. Cecilia and Clara watched in horror as a violent episode rendered John incapacitated for several minutes. Then the event stopped. Is he okay? Clara asked, a look of concern written in her face. He's going to be just fine. The excitement got to him, Mike responded, grabbing John by the arm and dragging him to his feet. I know what is going to get him back up. He said, placing John's arm around his neck and walking him towards the door. John saw himself on the field again. The thick fog was everywhere. Mara's voice echoed in every direction, but he couldn't make out the source. He felt himself swerving left and right, looking for any sign of her. He wanted to call out, but he found himself unable to speak. He felt a weight on his chest. She's gone, he muttered under his breath. Suddenly, he felt his heart start beating fast. He felt his blood sprinting through his veins and an instinctive need to puff out soon overcame him. He let out a massive heave. <sighs> he opened his eyes in Mike's office with Mike standing over him with a bottle in his hand. Some smelling salts to bring you back from the dead. Mike said, withdrawing from John, who looked around the room confused. Let's give you some time to come too, and then we'll head out for dinner. I told the girls to get something a bit more formal on. It'll give you a few minutes to relax and allow us to talk. John wiped a tear from his eyes and sat up. He felt a pain in his head, and he rubbed his temple as his head throbbed. 
It will take a few more days for the effects of the Troxy to subside. You're going to be in and out for a few more days, but after a week, the worst should be over. Mike said, walking to his side of the desk. I'm pouring two cups of brandy. He handed one to John. This should help, he remarked. John nodded and grabbed a drink and drowned it in one gulp. He felt the phlegm build up in his chest and he coughed uncontrollably for a few seconds. Mike laughed. You got your blood going, father used to say. There's nothing a glass of brandy can't cure, he said solemnly. I see you embracing everything about him these days, <coughs> John retorted in a hoarse voice. Mike looked taken aback, then he let out a knowing sigh. I'm guessing you're talking about the superintendent, he said dismissively. John stared at him with cold, piercing eyes. She's in above her head. The sooner we make her realize it, the better it is for us. It's in our best interest that she stays on that side of the border, Mike responded, pointing another glass of cup for John. I thought we vowed to be above that, John retorted. I thought you vowed to always be on my side, Mike shot back. The two men stared at each other for several seconds the temperature in the room rising considerably. Where does it end? John asked finally. It ends when I feel like we're no longer threatened, brother. Mike responded, taking a seat across the table from John. I hope I made the right decision coming back. I would have hoped that you would have left all this pettiness behind. <coughs> New bigger pictures we can draw on as an organization, John continued. Bigger picture? What possible big picture can you draw from here? It seems like living in the city district has made you go soft. The thing the city district has been trying to achieve for years is to encroach on our land. The new superintendent is making overt gestures about that. I watched her inauguration and felt the anger boil as she made brazen after brazen statements about us. Her rule of law is going to lead to her demise. Everything is a show, and even if she means her threats, I'll make sure I make it clear to the people of the city district that you don't waltz in here and take over. If they can do that, then everything our father fought for is in vain. He fought for the libertarian ideal, and we won himself this district. We're self-governing, and we seem to be doing fine. I'm not sure if doing fine <coughs> is the right word to use in this, <coughs> in this case. John said, grabbing his hand as he felt a tremor. What would you call it, then? A shit show. We have doggies in a prison community with pipes feeding them drugs they crave. John said, looking at his feet. 
That was the worst decision father ever made. And as the prison grew, I felt more and more guilty about it. I thought you would make a change and try to help them. But you're more like dad than I ever imagined you would be. Why did you come back, John? From what I gather, you're not in the least enthusiastic about being here. This is home. I felt like an outsider there. Call me hypocritical, but this is the only place I can truly be happy. Why not make it the best I can? John responded. You do realize I'm not looking for a preacher. Mike scoffed. I'm still probably better than most of the men you have here. Maybe even better than... Jim was about to finish when Mike cut him off. Antonio? <laughs> now you're truly delusional. And maybe Rusty, John said, making a fist. It won't be long before I get back into it. Hmm. Just be careful around him. You know he has a thing for you. Mike responded, taking another sip. While I appreciate you being back, I would like you to understand and acknowledge that succession plans remain unchanged. You forfeited it when you left the first time. Once Casper is back, he will be assured of this. Of course. I did not expect that. John responded in a firm tone. There was a knock at the door, and Ursula poked her head through the doorway. The girls are ready for dinner. How much longer do you boys need to catch up? We'll be out shortly, my dear, Mike responded. John smiled as she nodded and shut the door behind her. I've missed this. <clears throat> John continued turning to Mike. It was inevitable. There was a long pause as Mike stared at John. This is what is going to happen now. The boys over the last week have gone to great lengths to restore your whole house. And even I was impressed of how great a job they did. I need you to go there and get the rest of the Troxy out of your system. I think a week would suffice. I have a mission for you. John perked up and stared at Mike. Go on. I have Anno casing a house in the middle of the darky region with some unusual activity. Mike started. Darky? Unusual activity? I thought it was a wasteland. John responded. A look of bemusement on his face. That was what I thought. But Arno has been casing the location for a day now, and I can't believe what I hear about the place. More importantly, I got the word that Casper might be in there. There's been no sighting of him, but what other explanation can exist for his sudden disappearance from the face of the earth? I would send Antonio, but he's a wild one. And I don't need him causing another war by going in and shooting around aimlessly. 
You know how sensitive those darkies are to noise. John nodded in agreement. Do you think we should wait that long? I intend to let you get back into it, as you say. If you're unable to do it, I will gladly get Hassel to do it, irrespective of how scared shitless he is of the darkies. No, no, no. I'll, I'll be fine doing it, John said quickly. The excursion will coincide with my evening with Miss Bovary, Mike said, standing up. You still see her? Does she know? John pointed to the door. Mike shook his head. I hope it stays that way. He continued walking to the door. Remember that joke father always cracked about the doctor and the moth. How could I forget? Father told that joke a million times. Doctor, doctor, I have hallucinations that I am a moth. The doctor stares at him, confused, and responds. Mike started, shouldn't you be visiting a psychiatrist? I was on my way to one, but I saw your lights on. <laughs> Father did have his charms, John said with a sigh. How hungry are you for some Ursula prepared dinner? Mike said, smiling from ear to ear. I'm starved, John said, jumping to his feet. Then it's time. Mike said, holding the door as John headed out. It's just about damn time, he said, shutting the door behind him. <laughs>